invite you to turn your Bibles now to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We will be reading the first 14 verses as our scripture reading this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle writes here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This morning, we're very blessed to have a friend of our church, a regular attendee and founder of Action International, a mission agency of hundreds of missionaries that span across the world that ministers particularly to the downtrodden and downcast, to the orphans and widows, to the poorest of the poor, in order to reach them for the gospel of Christ. And we're happy to have Doug Nichols here, and let's give him a warm welcome as he opens the word. Hello, friends. Uh, Quite a few visitors. Welcome today. My wife and I have been coming here for several years. We would come maybe once every two or three months. When I wasn't, uh, when we weren't traveling, and then it came to maybe once a month, and then we started coming regularly. This is our church now, and we just such a, we, somebody said, well, why do you go to Living Hope? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, the uh, preaching from the Word of God, uh, Pastor Joe. Uh, number two, you, our friends in Christ, nothing like the body of Christ. I, I guess number three, the food. <laughs> Uh, it's a good fellow. One, one thing about food, uh, I, would, I would encourage you, uh, don't leave right after church. Uh, stay here because uh, food is okay, but 
the fellowship that you can get to know one another. And some of you have problems. Some of you have difficulties. Uh, if you are not, you don't share that with God's people, how can we pray for you? And some of the times it's the only time we see you is on Sunday. And so Sunday should be a time that you can fellowship together with God's people. And, and also, you need to encourage others. Uh, in the Philippines, we say, Manalam Palataya, the uh, uh, a true believer. Uh, believers are to are fellowship in Christ to share with others, to help others, to encourage others in their walk with God. I don't know if you know this, but it's really rough out there. There are so many difficulties. So many people without jobs and, and uh, divorce situations and family uh, problems. And, and we need to encourage one another in those and pray for one another and, and help each other financially. And so don't rush off right after church. Uh, seek to apply some of the things that Pastor Joe teaches us week after week. Uh, <clears throat> I asked permission from Pastor if I could bring this uh, uh, all of you a copy of Through the Bible in One Year. This is a new edition. Those of you who haven't received it already, there's several uh, uh, packs back here. Take as many as you'd like for your friends, family. Uh, get people in the Word. You know, no Bible, no breakfast. Uh, May uh, Chen has a new saying. Uh, no, no reading, no eating. And I thought that was very good. By the way, did you enjoy your Christmas? Did you get the present you wanted? I bet you can't guess what I got for Christmas. <laughs> I said to my wife, that's a little wild for me. <laughs> but uh, the ladies group in the church gave missionaries a packet this year. and I'm not sure who chose this, but my wife likes it. She's going to knit me a pair of purple socks to go with it. <laughs> but um, the ladies group uh, gathered uh, materials, uh, vitamins, uh, uh, baby clothes, uh, toys, uh, books to ship to the needy in the Philippines. And we were able to ship six boxes. Six boxes cost about $60 per box, big, huge box. And uh, they've been shipped already to the Philippines. And I don't know if you know this, but you sacrificially gathered those materials. Each box is worth between 800 to $1,000 in the Philippines. So you can say like six times, you know, four thousand over four thousand dollars worth of material. You know, a little from what in our world makes a big difference in theirs. And so these things that you do for the needy overseas is uh, is very uh, much uh, appreciated. Another announcement I like to make is that some have asked us about our three weeks recently in the Philippines went very well. Uh, we were very busy. We had appointments every day, morning, noon, and night. Uh, I spoke every Sunday. Uh, Bible studies also during the week. One church that we usually go to there, one of what we call our home church there, is Higher Rock. Very similar to Living Hope. Well, Higher Rock had a Bible study with a group of men. It was a Christmas party. At the church, they rent a facility just like we rent. They rent there an office complex. They have three floors that they use for their church uh, services. I was there one night with the men having a Christmas party. I spoke for an hour from First Peter, uh, from Ephesians. And then they, uh, uh, they gave presents, and the women were in another section of the building. So afterwards, about 10.30, they, some people drove me home where we were staying. And on the way there, I said, uh, why are you driving me home? I said, this is quite a ways from the church. Oh, no, we passed your place. I said, you passed my place. 
I said, where do you, where do you live? And they said, Alabang. Alabang is three to four hours away from the church. Three to four hours away. I said, do you do this often? Oh, yeah, we do it every Wednesday, eight hours back and forth. Sunday, the traffic's not so bad. It's only six hours back and forth. And I said, you drive six hour, eight hours, six hours to church? Oh, yes. And they said, wouldn't you? Because of, this, of the preaching of the word that we have, that we have there. And uh, I said, are there other people in the church that do this? Oh, yeah. Many people travel at least four hours. A lot of them travel three. Most travel two hours. And you know, when I thought about we're getting this new uh, uh, building, maybe in Issaquah, I thought, oh, man, that's going to add four miles. <laughs> that's going to add another ten, five minutes or so. I was really convicted when I talked to this couple. They said, wouldn't you travel that far for the preaching of the word of God that we have? And so uh, I'm not uh, I'm not worried about driving all the way to Isquah now. <laughs> the uh, uh, by the way, uh, another thing that went with my purple tie, my wife and I, my, uh, Margaret here, we just celebrated our 44th anniversary wedding anniversary. Uh, people ask why she looks so young. Well, I was 14 and she was 12. <laughs> Just joking. Turn your Bibles and you should look in your, at your Bibles. To Colossians chapter 3. A wonderful passage of scripture. I've titled this, What to Wear in 2013 in the Battle for God's Glory. Uh, chapters uh, 3 and 4 of Colossians are concerning Jesus Christ. As the only all-sufficient Savior and the source of the believer's life and the real answer to life's difficulties and problems. Verses 1 to 14 of chapter 3, which Pastor Joe read, is concerning the believer's position in Christ and the practice in the world. Verses 1 to 4, the believer's position in Christ But putting that position in practice as we declare Christ and his righteousness to the world. Verses 5 to 14. Remember that obedience is a response to God's favor, not a means of gaining it. And so some of you may feel very uncomfortable when you read things that seem to be like rules, guidelines, Commandments, <laughs> but all these are are the expression of our life in Christ. They 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 are proof of our position in Christ, as we want to live out uh, these commands in the Word of God. Uh, they as we go out to do battle in the world. So let's look at verses uh, one to four of chapter three. The believer's position in Christ. And I will not give an exposition. I just want to make a few comments about some of the phrases here. The believer's position in Christ. Look at the phrase in verse 1. Raised with Christ. Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Therefore since you have been raised up with Christ. Colossians 2 verses 12 to 13 says. Having been buried with Christ. In baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions, he, Christ, 
made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All of them. Now, we have been raised with Christ when he was raised. As a Christian, we possess the power, the life of the resurrected one. Jesus is alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living Savior. And it, and it really bothers us and the world when they see many of God's people who act and even look like they're dead. There's no life. Now, I don't want to stretch this too much, but this, we should be alive with people. We should, in a sense, be friendly with people. We're, we're, we're uh, expressing something of the joy of Christ. He's alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We should be the most excited people in the world to be around. They don't have to play football to do that, or soccer, or baseball, or basketball. Christ is alive. In verse 1, it says, keep seeking. This is seeking to obtain a deeper knowledge of Christ himself. Seeking his kingdom and living a life pleasing to him. Worthy of him. Is your life a, a, a testimony of Christ? Is there something about you? The, the, uh, the fragrance. You know, not some fancy perfume. Or some cologne, but the fragrance of being around you. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a fragrance about you from your life that shine, a light that shines for Christ. It says the things above, keep seeking the things above. These are spiritual values of the exalted Lord and glory. This is not talking about heaven and streets of gold and sweet music and no sickness and no sadness. But present realities live to the glory of God that can be obtained now. Now, in our context, we'll read later. These present realities are listed in 12, 13, and 14. The realities of a heart of compassion and, and, and kindness and humility and gentleness, patience, a forgiving spirit, and above all, love. Also in verse 1, it says, Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 2.10 says, He, Christ, is the head over all rule and authority. Christ is not an impotent, powerless God. He's the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. Some of us need a little shake-up in our theology. We run around uh, afraid of Satan. Who is, who is the prince of the power of the air. But we act as if he's the all-sufficient one. He is not. Jesus is. Remember, Jesus Christ said, All authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In verse 2, it says, Set your mind on the things of... Because of all this, set your mind... On the things above, not on the things on the earth. First John 2, 15, 16, and 17 says, Do not love the world. This is the things of the earth. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's a pleasure, that's comfort, that's just things that satisfy myself. The lust of the eyes, possessions... 
Uh, you, you can, every time you see something, you kind of want it. You can't enjoy uh, uh, going to the progressive dinner and going to these nice homes that we did the other night because you go into these nice homes and you want that. Instead of enjoying the fellowship, you, you, you're just so engulfed. Uh, your life is saturated with want. It's like the kid at Christmas got all these presents. And he looked at his mom and dad and said, is this all? <laughs> Possessions, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This position. These are not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. We read in these four verses of Colossians 3. That we died with Christ. We live in Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are hidden with Christ. We are glorified in Christ. This is our position. But now let's go to our practice in the world. Verses uh, 5 to 14. Point number two, the believers practice in the world. Colossians 2, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature, a new person. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's our life in Christ. To become in practice what we are in principle. Dead to sin and alive to God. So do people see the Lord Jesus in our life, in our practice, in our daily living? Paul said to the Philippians, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So people, do they see that? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Actually see it and glorify God in heaven. So, let's look at five things that we're to put to death. Look at your Bible, verses 5, 6, and 7. And you should be looking at your Bible. Five things to put to death. Verses 5 to 7 says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. Some translations said mortify or put to death. Therefore, put to death the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, Passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. In other words, many of God's people in the church at Colossae had lived in these. They were homosexuals, and they were adulterers, and they were prostitutes. Uh, They had lived in these things, but now they were out of them and were to put these things to death. They're never even to be named among the people of God. The world is saturated, it seems, with sex, isn't it? Immorality, you can't even watch the Super Bowl ads. You can't even go to a movie anymore. Hardly without, there's something, there's, you know, premarital sex and... Immorality of all kinds and adultery. It's, it's people even, teenagers even pushed to this. It's almost propagated that this is the way you should live. That's the society we're living in. You can't even look at an advertisement of a, a buying a, a, a Honda or a Chevrolet or a Ford without some girl in a bikini on the, on the hood. You know, that's the world we're living in. And this is why this is called a battle. 
in 2013 to deal with these issues, especially of God's people, and, our, and never to even be named among us, because to put them to death. Look at what they are. Immorality. This is uh, evil in sexuality, fornication, adultery, homosexuality. And if some of you are involved in this today, turn, turn from your sin. Come to God in repentance. Don't use excuses. As my wife is not fulfilling my needs. My husband never talks to me. You don't understand the pressure I'm in. Uh, I'm just that way. You should have known my father and my sister. You know, these things. Don't use any excuse. It is sin of which the wrath of God will come upon. Impurity. These are evil thoughts and actions. Uh, Loose, immoral living. Immodesty. Ladies, when other friends of yours are dressing in a modest way, they may be ignorant of what's happening. So that's why you need to come next to them and talk to them. Or if they dress that way on person, that shows that they have an impure life. And so that's why we, that needs to be dealt with, and especially in the church. Passion. Immorality and impurity and passion. This is lust. This is overwhelming passion. Evil desire. Craving for sex and satisfaction at the expense of another. You know, my wife and I have worked with, excuse me for saying this, with children here. Prostitutes. And prostitutes all realize that they are being taken advantage of. They're not sexually loved by the other because a person loves them. They're just, people are just taking advantage of their bodies. Evil desire that leads to deeds and appetites leads to actions. If we would purify our actions, then we must first purify our hearts and our minds in repentance. In repentance. Close that magazine. Don't watch that ad. Leave the movie. Work on the other side. Deal with issues in the life that leads you to even think this way. Be careful of the internet. But notice it says four sexual sins. Isn't it interesting? Four sexual sins and it comes to greed. Now... Usually things kind of follow an order. I would not necessarily put greed with sexual sins. See, if we had a, a problem with these four sins listed, we would probably, the elders and the pastors of the church would deal with that. Even somebody may have to be put out of the church if they don't repent. But when's the last time anybody, you've ever heard of anybody being disciplined in a church because of greed? And yet it's listed with these four things to be put to death. Greed is uh, always wanting more, never satisfied, always envious, self-seeking, the worship of self and and things instead of God. All of this is called idolatry, greed, which leads to idolatry, our text says. This is called greed is called idolatry. Idolatry is anything you put between you and God, anything Calvin says, worshiping uh, the gift instead of the giver. Uh, uh, God judges idolatry. The wrath of God will come upon this. Mark Twain, 
the author said, there are two disappointments in life. Number one, not getting everything we want. And number two, getting everything we want. Because even when you get everything you want, you want more. It consumes you. Remember Isaiah 42, 8 says, God said, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images, idols. Covetousness is the idol of finances. So are are Christians greedy? Are they? Do you have any greed in your life? My wife and I were at a convention in Dallas, Texas. There were 5,000 people there. We were there because we were meeting some publishers and authors to get permission to print their books for pastors in the Philippines. We work with needy pastors. Philippines, there's 40,000 untrained pastors in the Philippines. Most of them make $20 a month. And we like to provide books for them. We get permission to print good books for them. And so we're at this convention. We were invited to a, a special reception. Oh, man, this was a nice reception. Nice hall at the convention center. There were probably about 200 people there. And they had these tables set and all this nice food. And, but, but I noticed that everybody fought for their seats. And, you know, you use the excuse, well, I've been on my feet all day. I've been working all day. I'm tired. I deserve a rest. You know, all those things we use. And so, you know, you had, I, had, I had Margaret and some other people I have to take care of. And finally, I got a seat for them. And, uh, you know, there was no graciousness. There was no kindness. There was no sharing of things. And the food came out. And you thought it was a, you thought it was, they released a bunch of prisoners after World War II. I mean, they attacked those tables. And, uh, and I said to Margaret, no, look at this. Look at this. These are, these are Christians. These are God's people. These are people who run bookstores all over America and Canada and the world. You know, they're the ones supposed to be encouraging people in their walk with God. So I said, what's this? There was a man. The, the food would come out of, a, of, a, of between these curtains. The waiters would come out. And they bring out these foods, all these delicacies and so forth. And then they started bringing out this uh, real nice strawberries dipped in chocolate. I mean, those strawberries are as big as an apple. And they were dipped in chocolate. They probably have to, if you bought them, they're probably three or four dollars a piece. And they bring them out on trays. And man, you would not get one. There's no way you'd get one. So finally, I saw where they were coming from. So I said, I'm going to do an experiment. So I walked over by the by where they were coming out. Sure enough, the man came out, the waiter, and I stopped him. He came to me and I stopped him. And I put my hand over the tray like I was going to take one. There were probably about 30 of them on the tray. And I went like this, like I was choosing which one. They're all the same, but I'm like choosing one. So I had my hand over like this. And then I hand somebody came up, grabbed one, grabbed another, grabbed another, grabbed another, grabbed another. And pretty soon there's only one left. And I'm like this, and somebody reached in and grabbed it real fast. And the waiter said, sir, you need to move faster. (laughs) You know, are Christians covetous? You know, we should be like the young couple that's uh, sitting in the auditorium in a church in Manila. When I told the story of a little 
converted girl, a street girl. She was a child prostitute. They picked her up off the street when she was eight or nine years of age. She came to faith in Christ at this orphanage. And she, now she was 17, going to college, graduating from high school, going to college. And she was, and I, and I used the illustration, how is this little girl going to go to college? Where is she going to get money? Where is she going to get money? You know, it's going to cost $500 at least. Well, when I use the word $500, there's a couple up in the, way in the back, that had just become engaged the day before. The day before. And they had the wedding ring, uh, the engagement ring. And they had paid. When I said $500, I didn't say 450 or 550 I said 500 That's exactly what they paid for the ring. And when I said that figure, she looked down at her ring, and her fiancé looked down, and both of them reached down and took the ring off. They gave me the ring after the service, and they said, Would you send that girl to college? Now, you may not have to take your ring off today, but are you the type of person that would do that? Are you a giver? Are you a generous? Are you graciously givers? Do you give abundantly? Instead of looking at situations that, oh, I'm not going to oh, carry my money in my pocket because I'm afraid I'll meet someone with a need and I'll have to give it to him. Or you carry money in your pocket that you could always help meet somebody else's need. Yes, those are five things to put to death. Now let's move to the next section, verses 8 and 9. Six things to put aside, to put off. To lay aside as a dirty garment. Now, these verses relate to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3.1 For when he rose from the dead, he left his grave clothes behind. He left them behind. Now, we're to leave off the old grave clothes of our past life. And we read in this text, and put them all aside, anger and wrath and malice, and slander, and abusive speech. Notice that all these things have to do with the mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Look at the first one that he mentions, anger. This is an attitude of, of, of anger as a habit. Are you an angry person? Is your, in, your, in your speech, your work, your, your driving, how do you drive? You drive as an angry person. Do you practice on 405 and 5 and on Highway 90? Do you practice a life of Christ as you drive? Are you gracious to other drivers? Are you angry? Look at what he did. He cut me off. You know, that's the way many Christians drive. Are you angry at person? Do your, does your wife and your children walk on eggshells around you? Do you are you afraid to discuss certain topics because you get angry? Don't you? You know, an angry person, we're, we're to be angry and sin not on certain things. But we need to be careful about quoting that verses and if we do it all the time. And also we need to be careful. We're not to sin as we got angry. Jesus was angry. He never sinned. Most of the time when we get angry, we sin, don't we? We sin, don't we? We go too far. We say too much. 
We strike out too hard. I was an angry person. God is still dealing with me on this. When we adopted our children, we were disciplinarians. And I had to be careful when I spanked my children. I had to be careful I didn't spank them in anger, but in love. And even when I'm spanking, I had to make sure that for this certain thing, I'm going to give you three swats or two swats or one swat. We had had like a ping pong paddle. And uh, on my son's paddle, it was like she she drew a picture, uh, Davy Crockett. And so Robbie knew which one his paddle and Julie knew which one was hers. But I had to I had to control myself when I spanked because you could get angry because of what they did. And when you discipline them, you spank them just a certain amount of time. I'm going to give you three swats. I remember one time I spanked Robbie and Julie both for something that I found out later they did not do. And I apologized to them. And I said, now you need to spank me. And Robbie started crying. Oh, he didn't want to spank me. But Julie said, I don't need to go get the paddle. <laughs> Let me go get the paddle. You know, but anger. Anger is something, you know, it says of God, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Wow, isn't that something? God does get angry, but he's slow in getting angry. And the second one he uses here that we're to put off is wrath. This is rage, uh, outburst of anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, A fool is always, always loses his temper. A fool always loses his temper. But a wise man holds it back. You know, things cause us to be angry. Things cause us to, 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 we hold it back, we hold it back. Someone said, I lose my temper, but it's over in a minute. Someone answered, yes, and so is a bomb. But look at the damage it causes. The third thing he mentions in this section is that we're to put off his malice. Uh, This is evil inclination towards another, an attitude of ill will towards others. Malice causes one to be sad when another is successful and rejoiced when another has trouble. Slander, number four, slander. This is scornful language against another. James 4.11 says, do not speak against one another, brethren. It's language that tears another person down. Even using truthful words to slander to cause untruth. What do I mean by that? Oh, I saw... I saw a brother so-and-so drinking in the parking lot the other day. Now, you think what I mean is drinking liquor, but what I, he was drinking a Coke. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, I saw him drinking. Oh, I saw so-and-so with another woman. Well, the other woman happened to be his sister. You know, and so I, but I wanted you, indic- I'm telling the truth, but I wanted you to believe something else. See, this is slander. Things that cause people to think ill will of another thing. You know, it is rampant in the church today throughout North America and throughout the world. It seems like whatever God blesses someone, but we look at some way of that blessing to cause to slander them. 
Oh, he has a new suit. Oh, he probably cheated on his income tax to get it. Oh, they have a new car. Oh, well, they probably, you know, they're not tithing or they wouldn't have enough money to buy that car. You know, we, we slander. We, we don't know, but we slander. Abusive speech from your mouth. This is shameful language. Ethnic jokes. By the way, never tell jokes about race, slander, or, or sex, looks, physical appearance, uh, death, or sickness. The Bible says, let your speech always be with grace. So not abusive speech, filthy speech. Uh, you know, this is really, you know, these, th- these things are really personal, aren't they? Because you hear them all the time. We, 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 abusive speeches, those ethnic jokes we like to say. And some of you, some of you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm white. So when I travel around the world, I, I get this experience that, you know, people, a lot of people, places in the world, they don't like white people. And they, they say things about my whiteness and, oh, you're from America. A lot of countries don't like Americans. And so you feel this. Whether you, whether you think you're mature or not, it's, it's abuse to speech. And I'm, you know, I work in the black community and my black friends are always having little, little slides about, you know, they, people, oh, you, they'll say, oh, you like this certain kinds of food. Are you? And they start mimicking uh, a southern accent and so forth. And uh, Chinese have done, uh, have suffered greatly. The Japanese and the jokes about the Japanese and the Chinese and the Koreans and, and the Filipinos and you just name it. And all of us have heard those things that the abuse is, and it causes a person to feel, to feel, feel embarrassed and shameful and angry sometimes rather than a speech which is seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt and gracious and fragrant and nice. And lying. Put away lying. Anything that's not the truth. Satan is a liar, which the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Uh, when a Christian lies, he's cooperating with Satan. H.W. Shaw said, There are people who exaggerate so much they cannot tell the truth without lying. Very similar to, to slander. What do I mean by telling the truth without lying? Uh... Well, Pastor Joe and I, <clears throat> we, had a, we had breakfast with Alistair Begg. Pastor Joe and I had Alistair with him. Now, I say that, and you think, well, just the two of us had breakfast with Alistair Begg. I didn't say there's 150 other pastors there with him. <laughs> you know, oh, I had, oh, I was with, uh, I was with John Piper recently. Yeah, we had lunch together. Well, it was at a conference, and there were 200 other people there at the breakfast with them. And so I told the truth, but I'm really lying. I'm trying to put myself up as something that I'm not. Now let's notice a parenthesis in verses 10 and 11. Christians are to put to death five things and put off six wrong things, uses of the tongue. The reason is in verse 9 and 10. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. 
Now, verse 10, the new self who's been renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, listen carefully. We were formed in God's image, but deformed from God's image by sin. But through Jesus Christ, we can be transformed into God's image. And as we pray, study the word of God in fellowship with other believers, God conforms us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. In verse 11, this is a a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Notice, no distinction. There can be no differences, no partiality, no difference racially, culturally, or social status since you have put on the new self. This is really good. Look at racially. There's no distinction racially. Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Race, internationality gives no advantages in the spiritual life. Someone said, I'm an Asian by race, but I'm a Christian by grace. We need to remember that. You know, you are exactly the nationality God intended you to be. Do you know that? If you're Chinese or Filipino or, or, or black or white, whatever, you're exactly what God intends you to be. Why? Because he wants to magnify his grace and glory through you. And though you may move in certain areas that where people don't like you because of a certain race, you're still to shine for Jesus in that. You're not there for them to like you. You're there for them to like the Savior, Jesus. I was in a bar one time in downtown center, uh, Seattle. I was going to all these different places. And I was only white with 50,000 blacks in the, 19, uh, in, uh, in the in 70, uh, 60s. And we're going door to door. We had a children's Sunday school and all these kids. And I went to this, going down, I walked in this building where I, all these guys were going. I found it was a bar. And I'm sitting there witnessing to this man. He said, young man, let me ask you a question. Do you notice anything different? I said, what do you mean? He said, do you notice you're the only white person in here? And these were the terminal, these were the, the race riots and so forth. And I said, well, yes, I am. He said, this is really not a safe place for you to be. And I simply looked at him and said, I was scared to death, too. You know, I, I wasn't. I'm not a brave person. I said, but, sir, I came in here to talk to people about Jesus. I said, are you going to do something about are you going to hurt me? He said, well, No. Well, then I said, if you're not going to hurt me, then I can just sit with you. <laughs> and he, he, he thought, yeah, he says, yeah, that's right. <laughs> sit right here. And we had a wonderful time. You know, and uh, it's really something you and I need to realize when we think of what people think about us, we're thinking about ourselves, not about them. Not about them. Racially and. What about culturally? Barbarian Scythian. This is culture. There's no distinction. Knowledge and philosophy are of no help in creating within the heart the new man. And the social status. Look, it's slave and free man. In Philemon, we read of the slave Onesimus, 
who was restored to his owner and who later became the pastor of the leading church in Asia Minor, the church of Ephesus. There's no distinction in social status. Now, in certain respects, it is by no means true that all men are equal. All of us aren't equal. But in two important points, we are indeed equal. First of all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And secondly, the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. That's how we're the same. Those who believe are saved regardless of race, culture, or social status. Paul ends this section by saying, Christ is all and in all. Now, let's come to the main part of our study. The clothes were to put on as we do battle for the glory of God in 2013. So in a few minutes we have left, let's look at seven things to put on, to clothe ourselves with. Paul has mentioned five things to put to death and six dirty garments to put off. Now we put these five things to death. Haven't we? And I hope we've all taken off these dirty garments. These filthy, smelly, putrid, grave clothes. We've taken them off. And now we're squeaky clean. We've even used dial soap. But we're standing there naked. Excuse me. No clothes on. And we're to put on something. God is not leaving us. In the cold with nothing on. He wants us to put on the clothes of his of, of Christian character, clothes of his righteousness, which people see when they see us, they see these this this clothing that Christ wants us to put on. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to stand around with no clothes on. If I get out of the shower by myself in the bathroom with the door locked and the window shut, okay. But I don't walk around the house. Hey, everybody, whatever. Excuse me for talking about this on Sunday morning. But it's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, I'm sitting on the table. I mean, I mean excuse me, I'm in the doctor's office in my, in my cancer treatment. I'm putting on my pants. I have no shirt. I'm putting on my pants on, getting dressed after exam. All of a sudden, the doctor runs back in the room, says, Doug, you've got to come with me, help. He p- grabs me, pulls me down the hallway. And my wife's coming behind me with my clothes and everything. And he takes me down into a room. He shoves me in the room with these people who are crying. He just told them one of the people, they're dying. He couldn't help them anymore, and they're all crying. And, and he shoves me in the room. He says, help them. <laughs> well, I don't mind helping people, but I want my clothes on. <laughs> And the same doctor, <clears throat> sitting here, he says, I, I'm just getting dressed. And he says, why are you wasting your time with those street kids in Mexico City? And I said, well, doctor, they need the gospel. And he sits down, oh, the gospel. Would you explain that to me again? And I don't mind talking about the gospel with a doctor who needs the gospel, but I want my pants on. <laughs> so don't stand there with no clothes on. The world will only mock your ugliness. They need to see the beauty of Christ as you are clothed with his righteousness. So what are these things? This this clothing. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. 
<clears throat> so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, which holds all these things together. Notice he didn't say, put on prayer. That's important. He didn't say, put on preaching, you know, preach great sermons. He didn't say that here. He didn't say, put on prophecy or power of the Holy Spirit. Those are all important. He didn't say, he said something very simply. Put on these seven graces that will make a difference for my glory in 2013, no matter where you live, where you work, what you do, or who you are, for the glory of God. So, in a few moments we have, let's look at these character qualities that show, that glow with the righteousness of Christ to the glory of God. Number one, a heart of compassion. This is tender feelings for others who, which moves people to action, to move you to do something. For example, if I tell you, remember 9-11? Remember 9-11? What happened on 9-11? You know, 4,000 men and women died on 9-11. New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. Now, that bothers us, but if I told you also that on the same day, 25,000 children throughout the world died of starvation and malnutrition and disease that possibly some of you could have done something about. Does that cause anybody here to have, to, 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 to feel something? To, to feel something? To hear that in Manila there's 100,000 children living on the streets. To hear that 15,000 little boys and girls between the ages of 9 and 12 in prostitution in the Philippines. Does that cause anybody to feel any kind of a... If you hear that in Malawi, there's a million children been orphaned because of AIDS. Zambia, over a million and a half. Uganda, two and a half million. Ten million throughout the, throughout the country. Little kids that are scattered throughout the world with no one to love them, no one to care for them. Like little animals, living like, like, like wild animals. Resisting on the streets, eating out of garbage cans and sleeping on the streets and pickpocketing and stealing and begging. You know, compassion. Does it cause anyone to feel compassion? In the Philippines, we say, which means what a pity. But you can't say, oh, what a compassion. It doesn't make sense. Compassion has to be acted upon. Compassion in action. When we started a ministry years ago among the women of the street in downtown Manila, some of you have heard this story. We were, the first night we started, there were about 40 of us, and we divided up in teams of three, and we're getting all organized to go out on teams to witness to these 55,000 women on the streets in downtown Manila. 55,000? And we had a short-term worker... A worker who had just arrived for two weeks of ministry. She was the teacher in Kansas. And she was a rather large lady. Her name was Linda. And when Linda wanted to go with us to do this, when she got down there and she saw all these lights and this garbage of, of sin on the street and these women and the way they were dressed and 
the homosexuals and so forth, she became very panicky, very scared. And one of our workers said, you know, Mr. Nichols, we better do something about Miss Linda. She's about ready to faint. I didn't really know what to do, so I just walked over and I said, Linda, we taught you how to use this Bridge Illustrated Track. It was in Tagalog. A navigator Bridge Illustrated Track. I said, we taught you how to use this. And I looked around, and there was a little girl over here about 15. little girl standing on the street, a little prostitute. By the way, I don't like to use that word. You and I, if it's a dirty word that we feel, that we say. On the, we, it, it grates in our mouth, doesn't it? Well, if it, if it bothers us that bad, how much do you think it bothers them to be one? With well, this little girl on the same. And uh, I said, let her go talk to her. And I just kind of shoved her. Well, you know how you do something for the first time when you're scared, you kind of go overboard? Well, Linda, who's over six foot tall, walked over this little Filipina who's about four foot eight. And she powers over her and she says, listen to this. Well, the little girl looked up at her and scared her death and said, well, yes. So Linda started sharing with her. This is heaven. This is hell. This is where you're going. And I, I, where did you get that skirt? Does your mom and dad know you're out here? And, and she starts condemning and criticizing. And, and this is a, this is a, I don't know if you're going to make just, just everything wrong. No feeling, no compassion, no understanding, no care, no sensitive talk, whatever. And she gets about halfway through the booklet. And she happens to look down at this little girl, and she's crying. Tears going down her cheeks. So Linda stops, and she says, Oh, I'm so sorry. Have I offended you? Now listen to this. Listen, listen to the answer. Have I offended you? The little girl looked up at her and said, No, you haven't offended me. I just never knew anybody cared. Can you believe that? I mean, here, here, here's this little girl, you know, this, this lady domineering and yelling and, and uh, you know, no sensitivity and just no compassion and, and sharing. And, but this little girl, why would this lady even talk to me? I'm a nobody. I'm a prostitute. My own parents kicked me out on the street. They sold me into prostitution. The only time anybody ever talks to me is when they want something from my body. Nobody cares for me. Why would this woman even talk to me? No, you haven't offended me. I just never knew anybody cared. Linda said, would you mind if I started over? And with a compassion, she shared the gospel with her. She finished, she gets to the end, would you like to pray? Oh, yes. She indicated she wanted to repent of her sins and turn from sin. And they got on their knees and she prayed to receive Christ as Savior. You know, it's really interesting, isn't it? When you show just a little compassion... When you and I just talk to people to, to show any kind of concern. Uh, Matthew 9:36, Jesus seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dis- dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Number two, uh, to put on kindness. Look at verse 12. Kindness is goodness of heart. Remember the Good Samaritan. Jesus went about, by the way, doing good. Most of us just go about, don't we? The scripture says, be kind to one another. Second Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but to be kind to all. Uh, teach our kids to be kind. Do you teach your kids proper manners? 
proper manners to, to say hello, to, uh, to give up their chair, to open the door for others, to say thank you, uh, say thank you often, and to let others go first. Now, let's make sure somebody goes first today when we eat, or we'll never get through today. But do you seek to take care of other people? Now, did you, did you, parents, did you hear those five things I said? That is a need in all of our homes. To teach children how to say hello. How to give up their chair. How to say thank you often. How to open the door for people. And how to let others go first. I'm a a student of of slavery and and the abolition movement and reading a book uh, after the end of the Civil War of a a group of Christian uh, northerners who came down to the south. And one of them, the Christian, they were Christians, and one of a Christian was walking into a store as a slave was walking out. An ex-slave was walking out the door. And as as he passed this lady this ex-slave lady, as he passed her, he tipped his hat. See, they used to wear hats in the old days. And they tipped a hat to, be, to show respect, to hello and so forth. And the lady was so overcome with the emotion of someone just greeting her kindly, she almost fell down. And in the same book, it talks about this lady who was, who was ministering to some of the sickly slaves. And one of one of, one of the slave, ex-slaves said, said to the woman, she said, if I had all the money in the world, I would give it to you because you talk so sweetly to me. You know, that makes a difference in people's lives. Of being kind to people. The kindness of God leads to Repentance. How is God's kindness displayed to non-believers through the kindness of God's people, you and me? Psalm 145:17. The Lord is righteous and in all of His ways and kind in all of His deeds. Number three, humility. Looking on others as better than yourself. Philippians 2:3 says. Uh, Philippians 2:3. A humble person serves others. James, Jesus said. That instead of Jesus, he came to serve, not to be served. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and Christ must increase. Years ago, I wrote a story about Dr. Francis Schaeffer. Some of you may not know him. He was a great author and writer and theologian. And he worked with um, in, uh, in Switzerland and <clears throat> had this ministry among hippies and so forth. A great theolo- reformed uh, brother and... And uh, before he was famous, he spoke at our conference in all Operation Mobilization in 1966 in, in, uh, in England. And I was a new recruit with OM, and I was happened to be outside at 12 o'clock at night uh, sweeping the steps, doing my job that, I, that was assigned to me. When this man walked up, Dr. Francis Schaefer, I didn't know he was Dr. Francis Schaefer. He walks up and he says, is this Operation Mobilization? I said, yes, it is. He said, uh, I, I said, are you coming to the conference? He said, yes, I am. And I said, well, everybody's in bed. 
And, uh, and I said, uh, he didn't have a sleeping bag or anything. I said, well, sir, uh, you, you know, he's in his 50s. He was an older man to me as a young kid. I said, well, come with me. And I took him in our room that where 50 of us were sleeping on the floor. Uh, he had nothing to sleep on. I got him a, 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 a sleeping bag to sleep on and got him a, a, a pillow, a pillow, got some towels together for a pillow and everything. As he was getting ready for bed, I said, sir, are you sleepy? I mean, are you hungry? And he said, well, yes, I am. I haven't eaten all day. I said, come with me. So I took him over to the, with the kitchen, and the kitchen was locked. But because of my past, that was no problem. <laughs> I picked the lock, got in. When it, the only thing I could find was a bowl of cereal and some milk and some toast and some jam. And, this, and talked with this man. He told me about his ministry of, in Switzerland. And the, well, great. He went back to see. Next day, I was in trouble because I was the main speaker. They had a room for him, a bed and everything. <laughs> and yet, he slept on the floor and never said a thing. That was a humble man of God. And that story, after all these years, was picked up two weeks ago and circulated all over the world. And I've gotten more emails. Wow, this is something. Dr. Francis Schaeffer did that. Are you that type of a person? Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And by the way, you know you're a servant when people start treating you like one. You know, you say you're humble, but when people start treating you like a servant, you're a humble servant. We say, I'm a humble servant. But when people treat you like one, that's the test. Now, have you noticed, though, that you do not feel threatened being around people who are humble? Have you noticed you feel comfortable around them? They're comfortable to be with. You're not afraid of offending them and hurting them. They're so gracious and kind. Well, my, wow. My time is really up. I am so sorry. Let me just quickly go through these other points. Uh, number four, gentleness would have put on. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentle spirit, your considerateness uh, be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord sees how you respond to certain things. Are you gentle? Uh, do we respond to rudeness in a, in a gentle manner? An old woman in India trusted Christ and people became angry. I remember this. I remember when this happened. People became angry with her because she left Hinduism and became a Christian. And one person shouted at her, you're the ugliest old woman I've ever seen. She gently answered, gently answered. Isn't it wonderful how God loves an old ugly woman like me? Isn't that something? Gentle with your wife and your husband, your children, your employees, your boss, your friends, your store clerks, the waiters, with everybody. This is God's way. This is not man's. As you give yourself to others in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, they may often still be unappreciative and unthankful and rude. But remember, it's better to take your refuge in the Lord by obeying him than take refuge in man. Number five is patience we put on. Tribulation and trouble and problems teach us patience. Look at problems as opportunities to trust God to teach us patience. Uh, Jesus promised in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. If Christ has overcome the world, then we can trust him because he's in complete control. Number six, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you 
forgive others. The very instinct, instant that we have a complaint against another person, we should forgive them in our heart. By the way, when, when was the last time you asked forgiveness from someone? Some of you teenagers. You know, are you treating your parents with respect? You know, why don't you go home today and say, Mom and Dad, I am really sorry for complaining so often, for not treating you with respect I am. Some of you need to get on the phone today and ask forgiveness of people that you've offended. Hey, I'm sorry I did this to you. I'm sorry I said this. I'm sorry I didn't do that like I should have. And number seven, love. Put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Love holds the Christian life together. It's the hub of the will of the Christian life in the church. Love is the adhesive of the church, the glue that holds us all together. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. When the world sees our love for one another, they say, what is happening? Why do they do that? The answer comes back, they do that because they're Christians and they have love one for another. Marvin Pudencio was one of our uh, American Filipino missionaries. He died while serving in Manila. In fact, Margaret and I were just visiting the the Philippines when this happened several years ago. And I'm at the hospital at 2 in the morning trying to deal with his body and pay the doctors. You know, you have to pay everything up front. And we're trying to get some cash together. And I'm out in the parking lot with one of our other missionaries. We're trying to put some cash together. And all of a sudden, uh, a Mercedes pulls up. And then a, then a BMW pulls up. And then a Lexus pulls up. And, and all of uh, these Chinese friends get out of their cars. And they come over. I didn't know who they were. But they were a friend of Marvin Pudentia, who he had led to Christ and who he had discipled. And this little poor Filipino missionary had led all these men, to, these men and women to Christ. And they came and they, they saw who we were and they said, what are you doing? And I said, we're trying to, we got to, they, don't worry about a thing. We will take care of everything. They took care of all the, the funeral, the burial expenses, all the expenses of the hospital, everything. Why? Because of his love for them and because of his love for them, their love for him. See, that's, a lot, that's what holds the church together. So as Christians, let me close. As Christians, let's recognize our position in Christ. Christ in us. The hope of glory. And live out our position by taking the message of Christ through the gospel and practice and living for him in a dark world. Let me close with this story. Years ago, I was with Operation Mobilization in India. And uh, I was asked to, not because I was a speaker, I only had one sermon, but because I was in this area, they wanted me to preach at this conference of Indian believers, about 5,000 of them. And uh, they asked me to speak because I'm a missionary. And uh, I didn't know anything about what to do, and I had a little message together. and uh, we're all getting ready to go to the convention. I was with this Operation Mobilization team. And they all took off their trousers. We're in Kerala. This is southern India. And uh, they took off their trousers. And they, they, in India, the men were dhotis. 
dotings. It's like a half a bed sheet. You just kind of wrap it around you like this. You wrap it around you like this. Now, I'm not doing a good job of it. It's been 20 years since, 30 years, 40 years since I've done this. You wrap it around you and you kind of tuck it here. And, uh, and that's where you wear a dhoti. It's cool. It's nice. You can run. You run. You just pull up a little bit and so forth. And, uh, and they, were, they were putting on their dhotis. And I said, what are, you, what are you doing? And they said, oh, this is what we wear here in this part of, the, part of India. And I said, well, well, can I have one? They said, oh, no, no, no. You don't know. You don't know how to wear these. I said, look, I'm speaking tonight. If you're wearing a dhoti, I'm wearing a dhoti. And they said, oh, you better not. And I said, no, you wear a dhoti, I wear a dhoti. So I, they said, okay. So they put the dhoti around me and told me how to tuck it in and everything. And they said, you know, you put a, better put a belt on underneath there because I hold it up. Do you wear a belt? No, we don't wear a belt. We don't, you don't wear a belt, I don't wear a belt. <laughs> well, you can imagine what happened. I get to the conference. I'm sitting up on a platform. Time, come time to speak. So I walked up. Now, listen, this is true. They had the women on one side and the men on one side. Now I'm right in the middle of my message. And I lift up my hands and my dhoti falls off. (laughs) I'm sure glad I had shorts on. But it was a terrible, terrible, embarrassing situation. But you know, as terrible as that is, that's what you and I face like in in the as we go out in the world today, we go out and we're, we we dealt with those those sins of sex and greed, and we dealt with those abusive languages and stuff. But you know, the world—that's all they see, and that's not really of Christ. They want to see His righteousness, His righteousness of of, uh, of a heart of compassion and kindness. So what we need to do is simply put on our clothes. Of heart of compassion and kindness and, and humility and gentleness and forgiveness and love. That the world may see Jesus. Not see our nakedness, but see Christ, the light of the world. So let's do battle in 2013. But let's do it. It's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Father, it's late and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, uh, speak to our hearts even in this uh, late hour uh, that we might deal with issues in our life that might be shameful for even to be named among a Christian. And Lord, if there's these issues that we need to deal with of uh, sexual sin and greed or, or the way we use our tongue in such abusive ways rather than the sweetness of Christ and the glorious message of Him. So, Father, help us to clothe ourselves today to make an act of the will by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. And Lord, may we, may we be gentle and deal with the pride in our life and, and put on humility. And Father, may we learn patience. Even some of us have been sick for such a long time in dealing with this. Lord, help us to be patient, trusting you 
in all these circumstances. And Lord, help us to forgive, to be people with a forgiving spirit. And most of all, Father, we ask that we put on love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.